Nehemiah chapter 4 tonight. And while you're finding that and getting situated, I kind of think back to what we've studied so far in this book and we're kind of building on that. I understand one day a farmer who was a Quaker was having trouble with his mule. And he was trying to plow his field, but that mule was being unusually stubborn this particular day. So the Quaker decided to have a talk, a reasonable talk with this mule. And here's what that Quaker farmer said. He said, Thou knowest I am a Quaker. Thou knowest I can't curse thee. Thou knowest I can't whip thee. What thou dost not know is that I can sell thee to my neighbor down the road. He is no Quaker, and he can beat the living daylights out of you. (laughs) Now, as a Christian, have you ever felt like that? Be honest. Be honest. I have. We know there are ways that we should respond. We know there are appropriate ways of responding. But in our hearts, we want to respond a different way. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. There's a way we should respond to opposition and difficulty and challenges. And from our book in uh, Nehemiah tonight, the fourth chapter, we're going to learn uh, some key truths in dealing and handling opposition. If you remember, last time we left Nehemiah in chapter 3, they were busy rebuilding the walls. They were working together as a team. Teamwork was a real key. And they were putting up the wall and rebuilding the wall. But we find out tonight here in chapter 4 that the wall did not go up smoothly. It did not go up uh, in an easy way. In fact, it was hard work. Um, Physically, it was demanding. But likewise, it was hard work and the fact that it was dangerous work. Uh, They literally faced opposition. So let's go ahead and read Nehemiah chapter 4 tonight. Then we'll come back and see what God has for us, okay? I'm going to begin chapter 4, beginning at verse 1 of Nehemiah. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we built the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders." So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together into the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they shall not know neither see till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, From all places whence you shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. 
And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers, to the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us and God had brought their counsel to naught that we returned all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields and the bows and the harbigions. And the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which built it on the wall and they which bear burdens, which those that laid it, everyone with one of his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side and so built it. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers, to the rest of the people, the work is great and large. And we're separated upon the wall one far from another. In what place thereof ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said unto the people, Let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may, not, uh, they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I, nor my brethren, nor my servants, nor the men that, of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that every one put them off for washing." I think I've shared this with you before, but Alan Redpath once said, whenever the people of God say, let us rise up and build, Satan says, let me arise and oppose. Think about that. Whenever the people of God say, let us rise up and build, Satan says, let me arise and oppose. The very first lesson we need to get down tonight is this. There will be opposition. There will be opposition. We see it all throughout the Bible. As God's people sought to serve the Lord and honor the Lord and, and go forth for the Lord, there's that opposition. We're told very clearly that we're going to face opposition. Now, in fact, chapters 3, or excuse me, 4, 5, and 6, our chapters tonight and the next two chapters, all deal with the theme of opposition. Uh, tonight we have mostly opposition from without. Chapter 5 is mostly opposition from within. Chapter 6 is mostly opposition from without again. Opposition can take on many different forms, and we'll see that here in our passage. But as Christians, we need to be reminded tonight and realize that God has not promised us an easy, smooth road. Now, God has promised us a safe landing. He's promised to be with us. He's promised to deliver us in the end. But he's not promised us a safe landing or he's promised a safe landing, but not smooth sailing, even in the center of God's will. Now, remember, Nehemiah didn't go here in his own accord or just his own idea. God had laid this burden upon him. God had opened the door. God had sent him to rebuild the walls. He's there in the center of God's will, right there in the center of God's will. This is all going on, this opposition. And so we can be right with the Lord, right where God wants us. And yet opposition comes. So don't be discouraged if trouble is abounding. Don't be discouraged when an opposition comes. Now let's examine real quick what the goal of the enemy is here in Nehemiah chapter 4. I want you to look at verses 8 and 11 and we see the goal of the enemy. It says, And conspired all of them together to come and to fight, watch this, to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Drop down to verse 11. Our adversary said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. Did you catch there what the goal of the enemy was? 
The goal of the enemy was what? To do what to the work? To hinder it and to stop it. So we know their goal. Here we go with markers again. That one's missing. All right, let's try again. The goal was to hinder and ultimately stop the work. Stop the wall from going up. Stop this activity. Stop Nehemiah. Stop the workers. And the goal was to be carried out regardless of the cost. If you notice there in verse 11, even if it meant killing those who were laboring on the wall, that's okay with the enemy. They just wanted to stop the work. Now, this was serious stuff. And it's reminded us as believers tonight that our enemy is very real. Very real. It's reminded us tonight that we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual warfare. And we're in some serious business here. Now, what is the goal of our enemy? We think about our adversary, the devil. The Bible is very clear in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, what the goal is of our enemy. Anybody remember that verse? Be sober. Be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Boy, it's like just... Pull it out. Yeah, there. Read it again. Put it back together. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion. You ever seen a lion up close? I mean, even when they're behind the bars, man, I sit there and I look at those things and I think, oof, glad these bars are here. But he says, listen, he says, a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. It's the idea of, of destroying. Stephen Davy put it this way. Satan is obsessed with destroying the worship of the one true living God whose throne he coveted and for which he fought. He failed and was cast to earth and ever since has attempted to rob God's throne of worship and glory. Listen, any Christian or church that is dedicated to bringing worship and glory to God will be opposed by the enemy. When you align your purpose in life to bring glory and honor to God, then the one who opposed the glory of God will most assuredly oppose you. Read that one sentence again. Any Christian, that's you and me, or church, that's us, that is dedicated to bringing worship and glory to God will be opposed by the enemy. So we've got to remember that. When opposition comes, we don't have to say, oh, what's happening? We realize if we're seeking to honor and glorify the Lord, that displeases our enemy. He wants to destroy our worship, destroy our glorifying God. So how did all this play out in Nehemiah's day, in Nehemiah's situation? We know the goal was what? To hinder, to stop the work, to put a cease to this activity. Now let's talk about the means for reaching their goal. In other words, how do they go about reaching this goal? And praise the Lord, they didn't reach it. They didn't meet the goal. Uh, we understand Nehemiah and them, as we'll see. Uh, they completed the work that God gave them to do. But I want you to help me to teach this lesson, okay? So this word will be some interaction going on. We're going to go through this study together, and you be ready as we go through these various verses. And we're going to see the different means that they used. Now, the first means we find here in Scripture is they used mockery. And ridicule. Mockery and ridicule. Let's go back to the very first verse of chapter 4. And you begin helping as we go through this. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we built the wall, and he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. Then we talk about Tobiah down in verse 3. We saw those guys before. Uh, they're back in chapter 2. I think it's verses 10 and 19. 
They were displeased with Nehemiah's being there. But let's notice how they did this. It says that they mocked the Jews. And let's notice how they mocked them. Verse number two. And he spake before his brethren, talking about Sanballat, and the army of Samaria said, what does he say the very first thing he talks about? What's the very first thing he asked there? Yeah, what do these feeble Jews, what are they doing? Um, Notice what it says. Will they fortify themselves? So the very first thing he's doing here is he's using mockery and ridicule. He's asking these questions out among his peers and his people to poke fun at, to degrade, to demean, to ridicule those who are seeking to build up the wall. And he attacks their strength, doesn't he? He says, what do these feeble Jews, will they fortify? What's the next part say? Will they sacrifice? Now, what's that attacking? Their worship. He's attacking their very faith. I mean, here, are they really going to worship? Are they really going to carry this out? What else does it say there in your Bible? What's the next part? Will they make an end of the day? Anybody else's version have anything different there? Or a different uh, way of translating that? Yeah, will they complete it? Will they, will they get this done? Notice the last part. What's the last question he asked? Yeah, will they get this, these stones out of the trash and build with this, this refuse, this rubbish here? What is he doing? He's seeking to tear them down verbally. Tear them down, tear them down, tear them down, tear them down. Attacking their strength, attacking their faith, attacking their motivation. But then notice what Tobiah says in verse number 3. He even adds a further insult to injury. What does he say? Yeah, the little fox hops up on their wall. Now talk about degrading. I mean, I'm not a master builder, but I could probably build several things that a fox couldn't break down. He says, hey, look, even if they get it done, if a little fox jumps up on the wall, the wall's going to tumble down. See how they're attacking and trying to tear them down through the use of mockery and ridicule. Now, they went a step further. They did not just do mockery and ridicule. Next we find that they threatened them. Threats of attack. Physical harm. Um, Attacking them physically. Attacking them literally. Notice what it says there. Drop down to verse number 7. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians... and Notice the group is growing here. We learned about Sanballat and Tobiah. Now it says the Arabians, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites. So the group, the opposition is growing. They heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up. The breaches began to be stopped. They were very what? They were wroth. They were angry. They were mad. They did not like what was going on. And notice what it says in verse 8. What did they do in verse 8? Yeah, they planned to fight them. They conspired together to go up and do what? To fight against Jerusalem, to hinder them. So they were going to literally attack them, literally seek to stop them from what they were doing. Now, it goes on to say, verse 11, Our adversary said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, so the Jews that were hearing this, they said unto us ten times, From all places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. So the message kept coming over and over and over and over and over again, these discouraging words. They're going to attack. They're going to attack. They're going to attack. They're going to attack. And we see that their whole goal was what? To hinder and stop the work. To stop the wall from being rebuilt. 
They use their mouths. They use mockery. They use ridicule. They use the threats of attack and physical harm. And imagine, here they are. They're rebuilding the wall. Here Nehemiah is left being the cupbearer of the king for a while. He's come here. They're all working together in chapter 3. Teamwork. They're rebuilding the wall. And the opposition floods in. And so the real question is, what is the response going to be? Now, you know, we're living here in this time and God has put us here. And as individual Christians, if we're seeking to honor and glorify God, we're going to have opposition. As a church family, as we seek to to honor and glorify God, we're going to have opposition. The key is how do we respond to it? How do we respond to it? So let's see the response from Nehemiah and the people of God. How do they respond? Let's talk about, first of all, how they responded to the mockery and the ridicule. Okay, let's back up and let's look at verses uh, four through six. Okay, they had been mocked. They've been ridiculed. What you need to notice before we look at these verses particularly is this. You need to notice one important thing. Notice that Nehemiah did not retaliate verbally. Did you notice that? I don't see Nehemiah up on the wall shouting back at him. Now, what happens many times uh, in Christendom, sad to say, have you ever been in a, how can I say this? You ever been in a bad church meeting? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think probably everybody in their history has been a Christian meeting. You've been in some of those uncomfortable church meetings. And sometimes even those, many have brothers and sisters in Christ that don't act like brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Don't act like the Quaker farmer. You know, there might be a verbal exchange. Um, I don't find Nehemiah doing that. Here are the enemies. They're they're mocking. They're ridiculing. They're laughing. They're saying, listen, if a fox goes up, they're going to break the wall down. I don't find Nehemiah hollering out, yeah, well, come on, knock the wall down yourself. I'll show you. I don't find that. That's what happens in those bad church meetings. No, 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 no. I want you to notice what he does. Look at verse 4. Hear, O our God. What does Nehemiah do? He prays. Yeah, he prayed. Now, we're going to talk about his prayer in a moment. The very first thing Nehemiah did was he prayed. And by the way, Nehemiah, as we've talked about already in this study, was that he was a man of prayer. All throughout we find him praying. Okay? So Nehemiah prays. Let's talk about his prayer for a moment. He says, for we are despised, verse 4. Here's what he prays. Turn their reproach upon their own head. Give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity. Let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Now, that's a strong prayer. Would you agree with that? Now, here's the question. How and why did Nehemiah pray a prayer like that? Think about the prayer. He says, listen, turn it on them, Lord. Don't forgive their sin. Blot them out. Do away with them. Turn their, their evil on them, on them. Now, how and why did Nehemiah pray such a prayer? And, and furthermore, is that the way we should pray? Is that the way you pray when you're in those... Bad church meetings, you know, Lord turned it on him and let him have it. Is is that the way we're to pray? He remembers the history, why the wall got knocked down and Good. Here's what you need to remember. Two different times. Okay? This is under the what? The dispensation of the time of the law. Okay? Under the law, you ever heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Things work a little bit different than they work for us in regards to the way that uh, the law was stated out for these people in regards to how things were to be carried out. And likewise, if you'll notice that 
to Nehemiah when they were reproaching and mocking and ridiculing the people of God. Ultimately, they were mocking and they were reproaching God himself. Think about little David when Goliath was out taunting the armies of Israel. David realized something very important, didn't he? He realized that it wasn't so much about the armies or even David. Goliath was taunting whom? God. And so we have to understand this is a different time. This is under law. Now, today, when it comes to our enemies, should we pray a prayer like this? No. No. What does Jesus tell us as believers to do when it comes to our enemies, those who oppose us, those who persecute us, those who seek to harm us? Okay. In the Lord's prayer, he says, Yes. Yes. We're to pray for those who abuse us and despitefully. We're to pray that they would be turned to Christ. Now, ultimately, we should always give those birds to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with crying out to God, and we should. When we're being persecuted, and, and we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ tonight that are being persecuted, we, we cry out for them. But ultimately, we're not to pray for our enemy's destruction. We're to pray for enemy's salvation, Right? And so we need to keep that in mind, the time period we're looking at here. But ultimately, I want you to see that in this time, he turned to prayer. He prayed. And then notice verse 6. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together into the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. I want you to notice they responded to this mock ridicule by praying, Nehemiah did, but also they just kept on working. They did not quit. They did not give up. And it says there the people had a mind to work. And I'll tell you what, you get some folks that have a mind to work, you can get something accomplished. Many times we get people together and you have to kind of coerce them and motivate them. And, and we'll see these people too have some challenges we'll see later on in this passage. But these people had a mind to work. They were laboring. This was hard work. Don't get in your mind that they went down the Lowe's and bought a sack of bricks and brought them on a flatbed and unloaded them on the site. And, you know, they had a crane put them up on the stuff and they're, you know, putting it all up and busting up the quick, you know, uh, set. Um, this is hard work, big stones and laborious labor here. And it says they had a mind to work. So the way they responded to the mock and the ridicule is they prayed and they worked. They just kept on going. It did not work. They mocked them and ridiculed them and tried to bring them down verbally. They just kept on working, kept on working, kept on working. So then the question then is, well, how do they respond to the physical threats? It's one thing for somebody to to taunt you and call out names and stuff. But what about when it comes down to physical harm, when it comes down to physical persecution? How do they respond? Look at verses 9 and 13. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Verse 13. Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places. I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Now, what did they do? These threats are coming out. They're going to physically harm us. What did they do according to verse 9? Okay. Good, good. Here's, here's the way I put it. Kind of remember it. They said a prayer and they said a watch. Now, when I said said a prayer and said a watch, do I mean this kind of watch? No. What do they do? 
They put someone out to look. They put a, a watchman out to look for the enemy. So they said a prayer, they turned this over to the Lord, and they said a watch. Let me ask you something. Was that an act of faith or not? You're all nodding in the affirmative. Why is that an act of faith? Why, why, why this part? Now, we understand this part. I mean, amen. They said a prayer. Nehemiah prayed over here. They're praying here. But this part, is this an act of faith? Is it an act of faith to pray and then set a watch? Okay, you're all saying yes. Why? Okay, sacrifice. Exactly. They used to call this, you probably heard it, putting feet to your prayers. Yeah. Uh, they said the best place to pray for potatoes is at the end of a hoe. You know, you might have heard that before. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, here's the thing. Some people, though, they only want to do this part. It's kind of like saying, you know, we're going to, we're going to have a prayer meeting to reach our community for Christ. Should we do that? Absolutely, we should do that. We should pray and pray and pray. But at the same time, when we're done praying, what should we do? We should go out with the gospel. You know, pray while you're going. I read a story today reminded of D.L. Moody, the great evangelist. He, they were on a ship and a fire broke out on the ship. Now, by the way, a bad place to be when a fire breaks out is on a ship, uh, especially on a wooden vessel. And so they get in line. They're passing buckets of water. This was years ago. And one of the associates, one of the colleagues of D.L. Moody said, Mr. Moody, you know, we should go to the other end of the ship and pray. And Mr. Moody says, no, you stand right here and pass water and pray the whole time. You know, that, that's the practicalness of the only, that's not a direct quote, but that's, that's what he said. This is an act of faith because they did what they could do and trusted God for what they couldn't do. That's the key. You know, it's one thing for you to pray for your home to be secured and safe and burglars won't get in. But listen, lock the door. Take the necessary uh, precautions to be wise. God is not going to do for us what he's enabled us to do for ourselves. You know, even when you read back in the story of Elijah, when he's out by the brook Kedareth, and, you know, the, the, the ravens brought him bread and, and, and meat, you know, but he still had to go and get the water from the brook, didn't he? God didn't bring him a cup of water. He had to get up and drink of the brook. And so we find that they uh, said a prayer, said a watch. And let's notice what else they did. Look at verse uh, 13, 14, 16, 7, 18, 22. We'll go through those. Verse 13. Uh, It says there, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Now notice what it says in the last part of verse 14. Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. And fight, watch this, fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Drop down to verse 16. It came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work. The other half of them held both the spears, the shields, the bows, and the harbigons. And the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which built it on the wall, they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with, uh, with one of his hands wrought in the work, the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side and so built it. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. Drop down to verse 22. Likewise, at the same time said unto the people, Let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night there may be a guard to us and labor on the day. The next thing they did, Nehemiah did here, was he did what? He... What did he give the people? You know, they had maybe the trowels and they were building the wall. What else did he put in their hands? Yeah, weapons. He armed the people. He armed the people. 
But notice what else he did. How did he divide them up as far as um, groups? Families. Families. Yeah. He armed the people and he grouped them in family units. Now, is that an act of faith to arm these people? Do the same way. Yeah. Do what you can do. Yeah, set a watch. He armed the people. Now, why did he put them in family units? That was just wisdom, wasn't it? I mean, you might find a man who may be a coward if he's defending a group of people he didn't know. You put the same man with his family, and all of a sudden there may be some newfound courage there. Uh, and what does he say? He cries out to them there in verse 14. He says, listen, fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. Fight. Be ready to fight. So he arms them. He puts them in family units. And then we notice he also installed an alarm system. Did y'all notice that? The trumpet. Now imagine this wall is a huge wall. And... Uh, he had the trumpeter with him, and when he sounded the alarm, they were to come. Why? Because if the one part of the wall was attacked, others could respond, so forth. So he started an alarm system. Then I want you to notice, beginning at verse 21, this. We labored in the work. Half of them held the spirits in the rise of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time said unto the people, Let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be guard to us and labor on the day. Notice verse 23. So neither I, nor my brethren, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that everyone put them off for washing. Aren't you glad that last part was in there? <laughs> Otherwise you couldn't get near these men on the wall. <laughs> but they, they did still take a bath. <laughs> but that was the only time. What did they do? They stayed together and they stayed at the task. Did you notice that? They stayed together, and they stayed at the task. Now, this is the response they're giving to these threats of physical attack. But there's the main one we haven't talked about yet. The main one we haven't talked about yet. Go back to verse 14. You may not have noticed it. In the middle of that verse, let's back up and start at the beginning. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers... And to the rest of the people, what does he say? Be, be not ye afraid of them. Remember, remember who? The Lord. What about the Lord? Remember, he is great. He is terrible. He'll fight. And, and, then, and then fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Drop down to verse number 20. The very end of that verse says, our God shall do what? Our God shall fight for us. I think about the verses in the Bible that says, If God be for us, who can be against us? Fear not the one that can destroy the, uh, the body, the outward man. Don't fear him. Fear the one who can destroy both body and soul. So they remembered their great God. And I want to submit to you, this is the most important one of all. I mean, yes, prayer goes along with that, of course. But the focus was not to be upon the enemy. The focus was not to be upon the opposition. The focus was to be upon our and their great God. And by the way, their God is our God. And He's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's awesome, mighty, 
powerful, great, terrible. And he says, listen, remember God. Now listen, that's good counsel. When the times are tough, when the opposition is raging, when the problems are great, if you spend all your time focused on the problems and the opposition, you're going to be downcast, discouraged, the whole nine yards. You have to look above the problems, above those circumstances, above the opposition to God and see that He still reigns. So we see that their response was a proper response. And we need to get some lessons to take with us tonight. And I need your help with this. Let me embrace this real quick. We know that the goal was what? To hinder the work and stop the building and stop the building of the wall. And they were not able to reach their goal, praise be to God. But what lessons from all of this are for us tonight? I want to begin of course, by mentioning to you that we need to remember that we can grow discouraged. Look back at verse number 10. I want you to notice who's talking here. It says, And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we're not able to build the wall. I believe these people were not only dealing with the opposition on the outside, I think they were dealing with exhaustion. They were dealing with so many different things. We need to realize that we can grow discouraged. We've got to keep our eyes on the Lord. We've got to keep our faith strong. Now, realizing that we can grow discouraged, realizing opposition comes, we need to expect it. We just need to be ready and recognize opposition is going to come. But the important thing is how are we going to respond to it? Are we going to respond in a proper way? Now, from this passage, I mean, we can talk about the, the enemy. We talk about New Testament passages like putting on the whole armor of God. Uh, draw near to God, resist the devil, and uh, he will flee from you, that kind of thing. But I want to stick in this passage, Nehemiah 4. You help me. Let's write down some lessons we can take with us tonight of how to properly respond to opposition. All right? From this passage. So be ready. I'm going to ask you, where does it come from? Give me a verse, but just... Okay? From this passage, how do we respond to opposition? Pray. Pray. All right, where do we find that? You have to give me chapter, verse, but just general. Who prayed in the passage and so forth? Nehemiah prayed. and, and, And the people prayed, right? We talked about the difference between what our prayer should be and what Nehemiah's. Nehemiah's was a proper prayer, I believe. Some don't. Some think he was just kind of had it up to here and just decided to to cry out to the Lord. And we find David prayed such prayers, but I believe it was a proper prayer for that time. All right? So we pray. That's a key. I think a lot of our problems and a lot of our discouragement and a lot of our depression and all can sometimes be traced to a lack of prayer and unbelief. And a lack of crying out to God. All right, give me another lesson that we can take away from this. All right, good. I have basically opposition to these markers up here. I don't know what it is, but they they oppose me. Get ready for battle. Good. Yeah, I, I titled tonight um, Building and Battling. 
Uh, it's often been called a sword to trial. So you have a trial in one hand, a sword in the other. Uh, this is a key. Keep serving, keep working. Yes. And it's very important because the goal of the enemy is to hinder the work, to stop the work. They want to stop the wall. Our enemy wants to hinder praises and glorification going to God. He desires worship. He desires to be magnified rather than God being magnified. Our enemy wants to destroy our lives. Now, those of us who know Jesus, he can't touch us as far as that's concerned, but he wants to destroy our testimony. He wants to destroy our church, destroy our impact, destroy everything that he can destroy. And he wants to harm the work of God. But keep serving, keep working, don't give up. What about be of one mind? Uh, unite. Yes. Is that like verse 22? Unity, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that um, standing together. Why is that important? Support. Yeah. Support, uh, strength, encouragement. Um, we can accomplish a whole lot more together than we can separately. We all have our role to fill, um, but we need to stand united. Uh, unity is very, very important. All right, good. What else? I didn't have it on my list. Good, index, sir. Yeah. Yes, I wrote, look to God. There's a place in the scripture that talks about David encouraged himself in the Lord. Even if everything around you is discouraging, uh, you look to God and you find that encouragement, that strength that you need. Don't be afraid to sacrifice. Yes. You know, they laid it all on the line, didn't they? They literally laid it all on the line. Now, when you're up there with a trowel in one hand and a sword in another, you're sold out. It would have been real easy to say, you know what? I give up. There's too much trash, too much rubbish, too much, too much problems, too, too, too many things going against us. It's too hot, too hard. Um, yeah, it's very easy to give up and go home. You know, kind of like the little boy, I'm taking my basketball and going home. You know, I'm done. But we don't need to give up. We'd be willing to sacrifice. Why? Because He sacrificed everything for us. We belong to Him. We do what God's called us to do. All right, what else? Anything else? Yes. That's good because, you know what? Nobody could say, well, you know what? His job's more important than my job. You had to have both, didn't you? You had to have those who were guarding and, and there with the weapons and the ones that were actually doing the building itself. Exactly. Yes, and you had to have that one ready to blow the trumpet. Nobody could say, well, you know, I wish I could stand on the trumpet all day. His job was very important, wasn't it? What if you got dry mouth? Yeah. They would have banged that trumpet and did something, I know. It might have been a, an awful sound, but they would have blew something out of it. Well, I guess it would have been a ram's horn or something, maybe even. I don't know exactly what kind of trumpet it was. You your lips a certain way to get inside. Yeah. It's tougher than it looks. Yeah. Or if you're really scared, you could scream loud enough everybody could hear you, right? All right, teamwork. That's good. What else? Yes. I think it's the idea of trusting the Lord, realizing that the battle is not ours, it's the Lord's. You know, 
And you know, when opposition comes and, and criticism comes, we should take a moment and consider the source and consider what's being said and consider if there's any thread of truth to it. But ultimately, we know here this was all just opposition, satanically inspired, I believe, using Sam Ballot and Tobiah and these other people. Good, you're getting a lot of good lessons. What else? Verse 23. Okay. <laughs> Don't get too busy to take a bath. You need to still take a bath. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Eric, Hygiene is important. That's my mother's a priest. I got mine at 4.30 this afternoon. There you are right, all right. I, I did not have that on my list, Jennifer, but that's that's a good one. Verse 23, it's important important to bathe. Yeah, it's important to bathe. Well, you know, there is... There's an element of truth to what you're saying. You know why? Because if we do not care for ourselves, and we know the sacrifice, the labor, but if we do not care for ourselves to a certain point physically, we can't. We're not good to anybody. You feel refreshed after you take a bath. Well, it's kind of like the person who burns out of ministry or burns out, you know, serving the Lord. A whole lot better for them to take a day off and rest up and continue serving than to just totally burn out and never do anything else again. That's a good. Good point. Or anything else. Well, you know what? I think this, out of this Old Testament story from years and years ago, we've got things that, that impact us right now, June 2010, don't you? I don't know what you're going through, beloved, but I know this. God's there with you. God knows about it. Keep. I'll give you my little... Keep taking a bath. Keep taking a bath. I'll give you a little motto that I kind of keep for myself. And this won't totally apply to you, but I'll tell you, it, it, it's helped me. I don't remember where I got it originally. It might have been Wearsby or... But here's what I remind myself. I kind of remind myself to preach and pray and plug away. If you need to take off the preaching part of it, <laughs> you can put serve, you can put witness, you can put labor, you can put where you are. But preach and pray and plug away. In other words, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't say you have had enough. Keep serving the Lord. Let's pray tonight. I appreciate your input. I think it was a good Bible study. appreciate your input. Father, we love you and praise you and thank you for your blessings in our life. And thank you for the privilege of serving you. Help, Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to serve you. Help us to love you. Help us to keep on praying and plugging away for your honor and your glory. I don't know what some folks are going through in this room tonight, but you do. And I pray for your grace and your wisdom. That you would encourage them and help them. Help us as a church and also as individual Christians and families to truly lift up, honor, and glorify the Lord Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.